0: Welcome to the Working Well Podcast. I'm Tim Boris, CEO of Fresh Wellness Group. This show explores the diverse aspects of workplace health and personal performance. On the Working Well Podcast, we dive into the foundations of what makes wellness work in workplaces around the world. We connect with corporate leaders, executives, and industry experts who are helping make life more awesome at work and home. Join us to learn workplace wellness best practices, personal performance tips, and access resources to jumpstart your personal and corporate programs. Christine Dagenet is a sought after leadership development expert, author, corporate speaker, and was recently recognized as one of Canada's top 100 most powerful women. She has coached hundreds of high profile and top performing leaders and has spoken at multiple leadership and executive development forums, delivering keynotes, including endurance leadership for the intervening phase of COVID-19. So welcome to the Working Well podcast, Christine. Great to have you on the show, I'm excited.
1: Yay, thanks for having me here today. I'm excited to be here as well, Tim. Yeah,
0: so tell me a little bit about, like this has been a crazy year, lots going on. Uh, I know some businesses I've talked to are thriving, other ones have been hit really hard. What, what does the last year look like for you?
1: Well, Tim, what I wanna start by saying is uh, there's nothing like a global pandemic to shine a light on the importance of leadership. And have we ever seen that in spades over the past, you know, year, year and a half almost now in many positive ways and in also many ways to learn from. And so for us personally with Brightwire, we have had a tremendous year because we've done a lot of great work in helping individuals, teams and organizations develop the leadership capability that they need for the future. And when you don't know what the future holds and there's so much uncertainty, what you do know is that you need leaders to have the skills required to navigate that uncertainty. So it's just been a a tremendous year and look forward to sharing a lot about that with you today relative to the topic at hand.
0: Absolutely. And you hit it on the head when you said uh, there are lots of examples around us of great leadership and not so great leadership. And yeah, we we see that in the news every day with uh, national and global leaders, as well as just local leaders and businesses. Mm-hmm. Things that people are saying, things that people are doing, how people are stepping up to the plate. It leadership. A lot of times, people think of is just something that you know people at the top of organizations or countries or or provinces have to deal with, but. Tell me a bit more about your thoughts on leadership. What, it, what does leadership mean to you?
1: Oh, I just love that question. So leadership for me, is, it means many things, but it mostly means being intentional with how you show up and realizing the possibility of the results of your actions. And a true leader is able to navigate you know, the distinction between reacting and responding, between you know being transactional in how they engage with people to being transformative and none of those attributes of a leader go without intentionality. You know leadership is the foundation for everything for everything I believe particularly in business but everything in general all organizations that have you know successful results and are able to talk about the the productivity and the performance that they've had can absolutely Reduce that to the impact and the performance of their leaders. You know, we work with many organizations to build their leadership capability and are really proud when our CEOs stand in front of the market and say, we can attribute our record performance to the leadership strength that we have across the business. And not only is it because of the leadership strength now and today, but it's about building that capability so we have the right people to run the company for the future. So leadership is truly the foundation, particularly of of businesses and businesses who are driving performance and achieving great things. And um, leadership is also not separate from culture. It's actually just a different word for culture. And a lot of, uh, you know, we have a lot of conversations about this with many senior leaders on a regular basis around, you know, do we evolve the culture or do we evolve the leadership behaviors? And from our experience and perspective, if you focus on um, equipping leaders with the leadership behaviors required to be successful for that company, you will inevitably evolve the culture in parallel. And so we we actually view that leadership and culture are not two separate things, and that um, you know one is you know really steeped in the premise of the other. It was kind of a great question. And and Tim, I could talk about that one for a long time.
0: (laughs) (laughs) Well, you make a great point because we hear, oh, we're trying to build a culture in our company right now. And a lot of people think it comes from various policies and procedures they put in place or whether they have a foosball table or, you you know, chef cooking lunch or something like that. But yeah, I love the fact that you're tying it directly to leadership because leadership does set the tone for the company and, whatever culture leadership has trickles down and that becomes pervasive throughout the organization.
1: Got it. Yeah, absolutely. Right. And And, so uh, go ahead. Yeah. And I was just going to say, you know, to your point, leadership, you know, sets the tone and as an organization, you can have things in play like foosball tables and a chef to make meals. But if the leader is not a leading by example or B more importantly, creating space for the employees to actually participate in the culture-related activities, none of it works anyway. So people do look upwards as much as they look across. And, um, you know, that's where I think a lot of companies go wrong is they have these, you know, culture-related fun things, but the leaders aren't actually enabling them or supporting them as part of the corporate culture. So therefore, they're not sticky and they don't work.
0: That's a fantastic segue to the next question in terms of the the correlation between wellness and leadership, Uh, because we see so often in companies, at least I do in, in my business, companies that have wellness resources available, but employees don't feel they can use them because it's not supported by their direct leader or leadership in general. So how how would you what do you what would you say is the correlation between wellness and leadership?
1: Yeah, thanks, Tim. I'm you know I'm interested in in defining a bit too first almost about what are we what are we talking about when it comes to wellness and what are we not talking about because mm-hmm. I think you and I know that we're not talking about you know the gym, the foosball tables, or the donut or pizza Fridays anymore. <laughs> those those seem to be like things of the past. Would you say?
0: Absolutely yes. Uh, I've asked question to all guests. What does wellness mean to you?
1: I so. love it. Yeah. So to me, so I'm I'm going to look through the lens of leadership, and I'm absolutely happy to share personally what wellness means to me as well as a, a business owner, as a founder and CEO. You know, as a mother of two young children, you know, I have a definitely a personal perspective. And I see a lot of what wellness looks like in the corporate world with my team and and the clients that we support every day. Uh, To me, wellness is about having a sense of meaning, mastery and mattering to others. To me, wellness is more than physical. It's also emotional and it's also mental. And the combination of those things, when you have them, you're able to get performance and results be that for yourself financially, or with your family life, or with how you educate yourself, be that for the businesses and the teams that you lead. So I really view wellness as a holistic view of an individual and not one segmented piece. And that a leader in order to be successful and taking care of others and leading strong, needs to be focused on how they take care of themselves first. So that's one of the words that I would put to help frame wellness, at least from the professional perspective that we look at it at Brightwire.
0: I love it. And you had said, you know, for, as as a CEO and founder of your company, but then also as a as a mother of two young kids that that is, are you able to separate that because or, or even should not even, not are you should it be separated?
1: Yeah, I mean, define separation, and I think to each person it it would be unique. I mean, for me, I definitely have to separate the moments I'm working out from when my children are around me; otherwise, I won't be working out. But as a as a whole person, and how I assess the quality of my life, I do not believe that they're two separate things. It's not, you know, we do a lot of work in the space of work life integration, and recently I spoke to you know upwards of fifty pediatricians around Alberta, around how they're supporting, uh, integration of wellness practices for themselves as they're so busy taking care of others. And the concept that we're really playing with Tim is moving away from perceiving value and quality or satisfaction based on balance and moving into a space of appreciating, how can I integrate all the things that are important for me to be my best self? So, To kind of give a bit more specific on that, you know, historically, we were always trained that, you know, if I spent eight hours of work, I should have eight hours with my family. If I work out for two hours, I should be with my kids for two hours to make it equal. And what we've learned is that when we stop seeking balance, we find greater satisfaction. And that's such a fascinating concept if you can really lock it in and start to practice it, because it allows you to to reassess how you perceive satisfaction and make decisions again, back to that word intentionality around your time that have you be more satisfied with how you're showing up in general. So if I want to be working out and let's say my objective is to work out an hour a day for the five business days of the week, but I know I'm going into really busy tax season. I'm a a major, I run an accounting firm. It's going to be really busy. I'm going to make some decisions around saying instead of an hour a day, I'm going to actually work out half an hour because I need to get a little bit of a workout in, but I know I don't have a full hour because we're in our busiest season. And the decision to do that removes any, any um, negative sort of feeling around the fact that they didn't work out for an hour because they actually are okay with that. So that's stopping seeking balance and equal time or equal commitments and just making decisions that integrate so that you can find greater satisfaction. So I would roll that into wellness. If you're able to adopt a, a holistic view of your life as a leader in business today, you will more readily show up for the people that you're responsible for developing and for the businesses that you're responsible for leading. So it's um, it's a fascinating mindset shift that's required. And uh, you know it goes against what we've might've been taught historically in many of our upbringings. You know, you you think about even a um, the the concept of a scale and a balancing beam, right? By nature of this balancing beam, this is always in competition with this until you have them equal. And um, we're actually proposing that equality is not what is going to have greater well-being and wellness, but it's actually being okay with how you integrate all of the things that are important to you.
0: Yeah, one of the things this is a great point. Uh, that whole argument of balance after actually causes a lot more stress and imbalance than than it needs to if people look at it from an from a holistic standpoint and say I always say balance is subjective and it also changes ebbs and flows based on what you're going on what's going on use the tax season example right totally valid uh, all kinds of things happen in life and when we look at wellness as more than working out. Mm -hmm. Wellness is a multifaceted approach to living our life in congruence with our values and long-term health. There are lots of ways to be well that don't involve working out. Because I see a lot of people like, oh, I can't stand going to the gym. And I get that all the time. It's like, well, like I own several gyms and I'd rather not spend time in the gym. That's right. I'm like the gym is a tool to help you do certain things, but my I use that tool to allow me to do things outside of the gym.
1: Right, nice. Mhm.
0: And for for me, and that's just one aspect of wellness, that's the physical wellness. Never mind the the mental, the social, the all like the financial, all these different aspects that come into the wellness equation. People most people aren't looking at that. They're like, I didn't get to the gym today, so I need to balance it out. Um, I'm I'm stressed out from work because it's busy, so I can't exercise. And well, exercise is a big part. Yes. That con I like the fact that you're having that conversation because it is much more about the performance of people. Yes. Establishing What's going on at that time, but even and this is particularly true for leaders to be able to set that expectation and the, the permission that employees have to help their own wellness and for leaders to assist in that process.
1: Yes. Yeah, I think that's a brilliant point, Tim. And, you know, we've been really referring to that as creating space. As a responsibility of leaders, you know, and again, back to our earlier point in the conversation around leaders needing to role model this. I mean, that that sounds obvious, but boy, is that difficult to do. And when you when you sh- you know add in an econo- you know economic recession, a global pandemic, organizations already going through downturns just as a way to streamline and find more efficiencies. What you end up having is all of these high performing leaders. and and individuals and top talent that are still gainfully employed. Now they are, you know, so fortunate to have two or three jobs instead of one. And because they're the top performers that are generally capable of that, but they are overworked and they're burning out. And so what leaders need to be doing is realizing that and creating space for these individuals to have some capacity to take care of what they need to to have a, a greater approach to their wellness and how they show up in the workplace and that's how you're going to get discretionary effort from your people you know i'll say this and it'll sound really simple in order to give to get discretionary effort from your people you need to give them space to use their discretion and a lot of individuals get that wrong you know we talk a lot about delegation and leveraging others and there's a time and a place. And there's also, as a leader, having a, a radar and an ability to understand what is the workload like across your organization? And where do you need to release the pressure valve a bit in order to help your people create space? Because without space and just constant pressure, that's where we see wellness not being uh, done well. And a lot of people are failing significantly because of it.
0: Absolutely. And would you say, especially at the executive and leadership level, a lot of the people that are there are high performers, they're driven. Uh, Would you see there's a mindset around it's just work hard, work hard, and then I'll be well at some point in the future once uh, once I accomplish this or once I accomplish that?
1: Yeah, I mean… Uh, there's a, there's definitely a certain driver that that many of our clients have in common, and we can put a whole bunch of labels about what that sounds like. You know, is it uh, type A's? Is that the top performers, top potential? You know, the the premise of always yearning for more and having a high degree of resilience and grit, and tenacity is absolutely there. And what we're finding, particularly because leaders have had to show up in ways that they've never been required to do before as a result of the pandemic specifically that the resilience reserves that these individuals these top performers might already have naturally as individuals they're waning and so leaders are having to look at really creative ways on how to rebuild their resilience capacity so that they can continue to drive performance over the longer term you know, we talk a lot about, at BrightWire, we talk a lot about endurance leadership. And at the beginning of this pandemic, Kim, I remember it was, uh, I'm going to get the date wrong, but we'll say March 12th, March 13th. And it was, uh, you know, the day that we in Alberta were, we all learned that our children would be, you know, going to school from home. And that basically the world was closing down around us. Do you remember that day?
0: I remember that day well.
1: <laughs> right, that moment, right? And so that night, our team got together on the phone and we said, like, team, how are we going to help our leaders and our clients right now? Because this is going to be a tumultuous time. It's so uncertain. We don't even know what we're doing here. But what we know is we have the capability to rally around the leadership skills that are going to help our clients get through this. And so what we did was we started to talk about endurance leadership and the resilience that's required to navigate a, a pandemic with no end in sight and what we did was we said there was a crisis moment so we talked a lot about reacting versus responding in those initial phases and be really intentional and strategic to the best that you can and then we talked about this intervening period and i would propose that we're actually in the intervening period today and the intervening period if you look up the word intervening it literally means a point in time between two other points in time. And it's almost a period where there is no end. And so we're getting closer to seeing an end now, but this has been a really long intervening period. And what's happening is many of our leaders that we support, they have already been running, you know, we're always reminding them, you guys, endurance leadership, slow it down. This is a marathon, this isn't a sprint. But many of them have been running the marathon at the pace of a sprint. And that is the nature of leadership and particularly depending on the industry that you're working in. We work with a lot of essential services companies as well. So we've seen them out there grinding harder than ever before during this time. And so we've been working to say, okay, let's talk about your wellness here because if you're not taking care of yourself, who can you be taking care of? And for how long are these beautiful results actually going to be sustained? And so the challenge we've given to our leaders is to say, okay, I get it. You know what? You want to run your marathons at the pace of a sprint. We know that's in you. We know that's your drive. How do you ensure that there's water stations along the way so that you can replenish? And that's been just a fascinating conversation that has resulted in many leaders doing things with greater intention and and quite differently and getting really exceptional results. So yeah, I really like that. Running the the marathon at the pace of a sprint, okay. But what are you doing to ensure that there's water stations along the way so that you can replenish?
0: That's excellent. I love it. And you talked about the healthcare side of it as well with the, the nurses and doctors. It's, they're burnt out. Like we hear that burnout word all the time right now. And yeah, if, if there's no pressure release valve at various points along the way it's it's natural that people are going to burn out yeah. and as leaders what what do you see as some of the top things that leaders are doing to help their teams with that pressure release valve
1: mm. so there's a there's a lot of actually really great things going on out there and one that i would be remiss not to talk about is building coaching capabilities. So if you think about all of the leadership skills that are available, you know, and, and we could all just Google search competency framework so we could find all the, the names for things. But the number one skill that has been arguably forever, but more important than ever to, to today than ever before is coaching capability. So here's how coaching skills can help. If I'm a leader and I'm under pressure and stress, I have the tendency to hunker in, in the psychology world, we call it being in the grip. So I'm in the grip of my environment and it's easier. It seems easier and simpler for me to just take on all the tasks, take on all the responsibilities and bear the heavy burden or the majority of the load and just do everything myself. And it you can see the pattern almost occurring, well, if I actually have to pick up the phone and I have to help Sally figure out how to do it. Then that's going to take me 12 minutes, but I could actually do it myself in seven. But what happens is you're doing it yourself every time, seven minutes, seven minutes going forward indefinitely. So you actually have to just invest that 12 minutes upfront to develop your team so that they can own that task going forward. And so that essentially leaders and their teams can all be working at the level that they're paid to deliver at. And so during pressure and stress, especially let alone regular good leadership behaviors, coaching skills are imperative. So we see a lot of companies building coaching capability, taking their their leadership team and saying, okay, we realize that you can't do this all on your own. We realize that you have great talented teams. And we also realize that often you're really technically savvy, but you need to build leadership skills so that you can help others lead effectively in their roles as well. So let's equip you with some strong coaching capability skills. And uh, it's been remarkable. There was um, a classic HBR article done many years ago, perhaps you've heard of it, and it's called Who Has the Monkey? And the monkey is is talked about in concept of the task or the responsibility. You know, so it's really a, a famous leadership moment, or a common one when you're in a meeting with your team, and then at the end, the leader goes, okay, so here's all the uh, takeaway items, and um, did anyone else have anything? And then they leave the meeting and all of a sudden the leader has all the tasks. And so when you're coaching people effectively, you're able to really ensure that the accountability lands where it should, and that your team members are empowered and excited about taking on the task and that they're able to truly shine in their jobs. And so that's one skill. It's a really distinct skill that we can pinpoint that's helping leaders create more space so that they can focus on developing themselves so they can better develop their people and so that their people can often develop their teams and also just do their jobs better than ever before. So coaching capability is one way we see companies investing in their people to help them through these times and help them get results that are sustainable.
0: Absolutely. Yeah. And I guess that goes back to the the hallmark of an exceptional leader is that they build other leaders.
1: Yes. Same
0: same concept, right?
1: That's right. Yeah. Yeah, And and leadership doesn't mean, you know, you asked me earlier about what does leadership mean? And I kind of said I could talk about that forever. Um, You know, as much as there are leaders who have responsibility for others in the form of direct reports, by no means do you need to have people reporting to you to demonstrate strong, strong leadership capabilities and leadership of self is arguably the most important thing. Because again, when we're talking today about wellness and the integration of wellness into leadership, if I'm not taking care of myself as a founder and a CEO, as a mother, as a certified executive coach, as a speaker, as an author of all the things that I do, then I'm not able to show up and be my best for everybody else. And yeah. so they're they you know, they not separate, it's not church and state. This is a combined holistic view on general satisfaction in life.
0: That's, I agree with that wholeheartedly. And that's the conversation we have a lot with our clients is we see high performing leaders come in and they might run billion dollar organizations, multinational organizations, have huge teams of people, yet they're failing personally to manage their own energy, their health, their, their stress levels. They're, they're getting it done professionally. But dropping the ball personally, and you just see this trend play out time and time again, and it's not until they learn that personal leadership to call it balance, to create a bit of a connection with their values and say, hey, if I want to continue performing at this level over the long term, what do I need to do personally? Yes because I can have the most profitable company and if I burn out and have a heart attack at 50, how's that? How's that helping?
1: That's right. Yeah. Yeah. And yeah, and as right. the
0: the mother of two kids, you can understand that as a as CEO and business owner and trying to manage all those priorities, you have firsthand experience of it.
1: Yeah, that's right. Yeah. And it's, um, you know, as, as, we would all say leadership isn't easy. And making these decisions for ourselves are very hard. And you know many of us have been brought up in in families and organizations where it truly is. you know, take care of everybody else first, not yourself. So this is a significant shift. And you know, has it been brought on more recently through the pandemic and through this sort of exacerbated amount of stress and pressure? sure has it been growing prior to that absolutely yes and yeah when it comes to myself i mean i i do a lot to take care of myself in order to be the best for my family and for my team and i'm very intentional about where i spend that time one of the things that i'm super passionate about is doing muay thai boxing and working out so i'm i'm you know many people think like you're the crazy one christine you're up three four times a week at five thirty in the morning and I've been doing virtual training with my personal trainer through this whole pandemic. And many people say, well, you know what, that's fitness, that's not necessarily whole wellness. But for me, what that does is it's, it's just the effort of getting up to dedicate time to myself. I almost don't even have to work out. Even that is an added advantage because it shows I'm prioritizing me amongst everything else that I'm working on. And then I actually get a workout in. So my heart rate is up, I'm sweaty, I'm feeling great for the day. And then I bring that energy in that game to every interaction that allows me to be focused, crystal clear, sharp, and able to engage. And then by the end of the day, I'm able to really get a good sleep because I've had such a full day and it's been you know, exhausting in all the right ways. And therefore I'm sleeping well and I'm able to do it all over again. And so there's like that integrated approach that for me does stem from one aspect of how I create wellness. And that is my fitness routine. Um, but there are many other ways that we do that. And when I say we, we as a family. So it could be getting outdoors. It could be spending weekends in the mountains. It could be making sure that we have dinner together every night. And in the circumstances where it's not possible, I make decisions around that. So I don't feel bad about it. I don't feel guilty. And that when I do go back out for family dinner or, you know, when it whether it's, you know, three nights a week because it's a busy week versus five, I'm as present as I can be. And I get to learn all about unicorn princesses. I'm like a unicorn princess expert because I'm not thinking about work, because I made the choice to go and have dinner. So again, yeah. it's it is about choice and and how you show up. And there's many ways that uh I practice that in my day-to-day.
0: Well, and, and you bring up a great point. The and something that we've seen quite dramatically in in the services that we provide to companies is the a lot of people think there's work and then there's home life and that this, what you learn at work, whether it's corporate learning programs, corporate development uh, leadership development programs are all about the technical skills of work. Right. And what we have been able to demonstrate is that that personal, the skills around the personal performance, scheduling, um, pro- setting priorities, uh, understanding your values, what your purpose is, how that plays out on a day to day basis, having a morning routine, having an evening routine, setting boundaries for your day—these are mm. some things that high per, a lot of high performers take for granted. Yes. But they're not taught as part of employee development programs. Yeah, and that also brings up the the point um, of you know, executives should leaders be responsible for promoting, encouraging, supporting wellness in their teams. Uh, you know where where is the line between employer and employee and how how does that play out in in what you've seen on leadership teams
1: mm-hmm. yeah well i mean there's always the the typical hr function that has the responsibility for you know keeping an eye on the culture and the engagement of the organization and you know is that a responsibility i mean i do believe you have to have somebody thinking about that strategically And leaders within their organizations have the responsibility to create space for people to develop, for people to take care of themselves and for culture to occur. You know, again, if we go back to the the concept that leadership is culture and culture is leadership, I mean, one really does fuel the other. And, um, you know, leaders who realize that run their teams differently. And it's easy, again, for me to say, we have all these great wellness things and roll them out on this fancy PowerPoint deck that says you're going to get a pulse survey in two months to ask about your uptake. And then you leave the meeting and everyone clicks off of Zoom and calls each other or you know, back in the previous days, walks out of the meeting room. And then the real meeting happens in the hallway where people are like, yeah, that's great. But yeah, mm-hmm. no time for that. Definitely not going to do that yoga class at lunch. So the concept is you can do all these fun, great things that build culture and, and the sense of pride and the sense of alignment and values. And if you're not savvy enough as a leadership team to create space for your employees to enjoy those, the benefits are going to be minimal, if any, at all. And so yeah. I'm, I'm, I am I'm see that made as a mistake. There's a lot of good effort. There's a lot of good intention, um, but there's not a lot of space created. Yeah. Yeah, I'm I
0: wondering. think that some of that goes back to the... Again, the, the the leadership and culture within the organization is like, it's not, there's the unwritten rules and the written rules. Yeah, <laughs> and right. yeah. As you said, yeah, like similar to the meeting after the meeting. But it's like, ah, this looks great on paper. Mm, not going to happen.
1: Yeah. And then unfortunately, millions of dollars go into those really nice PowerPoint decks. Yes. Millions of dollars go into those wellness programs that, you know, wear your Fitbit and let's see how many steps you can get. Well, guess what? I'm actually tied to my desk all day. So, because I'm on back to back meetings. And the last time I walked around during a meeting, somebody told me it was distracting. So, I'm not sure why I'm even in this corporate contest, right? So, it's like the reality of the applicability of the wellness strategy. I don't know how well thought out those always are. And I, you know, I know that there's very smart teams of people behind these with great intentions. But from a behavior change perspective, How is consideration given to creating sort of the, the, in the behavior change world, we would say the antecedents that will foster the behavior and then the consequences that reinforce it. So if you need to develop wellness practices, again, it comes down to leadership. How can you build the triggers or the systems in the infrastructure of the culture that promote employees to engage? How, when the employees engage, are they getting sort of a really nice remedial impact or a positive effect? And then what's the consequence? Are they being reinforced? Are they being celebrated? Is it being recognized and reported on and measured? And how is that being fed back into the system? So there's a lot of great effort here. And I think that the world of wellness is also changing. Obviously, the world of work and the future of work is changing significantly. Everything's changing rapidly, yes. So it's all changing, right? So it'll be interesting to see how these continued approaches to organizational wellness and culture evolve in parallel with everything that seems at the plate.
0: Well, and and you said it earlier too, that certain leaders provide that space. And that's why we see high performing teams and departments within a company, because that leader allows their team to create the space needed to be performing at their best. Whether it's the physical, mental, emotional, uh, social, they're providing that. And I think some of it is being able to have that filter throughout other parts of the organization. Yes. And I find, that it, at least from our perspective, there's not a lot of communication around those types of best practices or uh, even, even there's recognition of teams performing well but not necessarily from a a wellness or culture standpoint as much.
1: Yeah, you might get the what have they done well, but you're not often learning about how did they do it well? What enabled their success? And that often you can attribute that to practices and and intentionality around the whole person, the whole team around wellness. You know, when we think about one-on-one executive coaching work, we have a... Uh, a leadership uh, daily log that we use with our clients. And it has things like, have I delegated and leveraged my team today? Did I influence and persuade? Did I actively build relationships? How was my communication capability today? Did I eat well today? Did I have family time today? Did I make movement and fitness a priority? And how was my sleep last night? And so it's actually a, a, a indicator system that allows a leader to take a glance at their day and look at themselves from a whole person perspective to understand how they are building the success that they achieve. You know, we're really good in business and just grinding for results, getting results, driving forward, especially the top performers. And Tim, it's fascinating in our line of work when we can say, okay, you know, Mr. or Mrs. Client, can you help me understand what is attributed to your success that you've achieved to date? Many of them will say, well, you know what, I'm just really good at what I do, you know, or I just kind of landed here or, you know, I can roll with the punches. It's kind of a classic one and there's nothing specific. So when you're able to work with a leader to say, well, what has enabled your success? And let's drill down. Let's understand that that higher degree of self-awareness builds greater capability and more intentionality on maybe the things that might be missing or the things that they want to do more of. So it is an extraction process. Often we take for granted that we're just good at what we do and therefore we're just going to always be good at it. And that might be what we do well, but how we do it is where the learning really takes place and where we really help many people unpack.
0: And and you used a a great example of using that type of structure framework to reassess. what. uh, So you've worked with hundreds of executives over the years. And so how does... What other best practices, I guess you would say do you see out there, or what ones have you helped executives put in place?
1: Yeah, so so many. So that's one leadership inventory, daily leadership inventory tool. Um, even something as simple. I mean, the the, the spectrum of strategies goes from simple to you know profound, right? And sometimes sure. the most simple can be the most profound. It is um not uncommon in our practice where we have very senior leaders looking at us almost upset after a coaching session going, Christine, how is it possible that I am at this stage of my career and I have never learned this before? You know, to your point, Tim, like a lot of the stuff that enables effective leadership and wellness isn't taught in school. You know, you have to kind of bump along these things or you need professionals like you and I to help you see them faster than you can see them for yourself. So again, it might be something as simple as Sunday evening, pulling up your calendar, Monday morning, Friday afternoon, whatever works best for you, and looking across the horizontal, all your meetings in place, and picking the ones that you don't need to be at and declining them or delegating them. That is an intentional effort. It is very simple. It has saved leaders that we've worked with eight to 10 plus hours per week. Easy, every time. Because I guarantee you there's meetings in your calendar that you don't actually need to be at, And I guarantee you, if you stop to consider that, you will be able to make better decisions with your time. And I guarantee you, if you don't stop to consider that, you will just chug along your week like usual and be in a lot of meetings that aren't very productive. So, just simple strategies like that. And then, you know, all the way through to, you know, carving out different types of business unit functions, organizational structures. Enabling executive performance at the highest levels to cast have that cascade effect through organizations. Again, there's things that are small and incremental to the individual, and bigger and more strategic to perhaps an organization and a leadership team.
0: Absolutely, I love that. It's people. <laughs> a lot of corporations for tend to try and make things more complicated or think it, it doesn't have value unless it's got this. Multifaceted like you know ten slide uh, pitch deck yeah. Yeah. <laughs> it has to be complicated, and it's like the most simple things are often the most effective, yet they're overlooked because they're seen as too simple
1: yeah there's a, I really like your point there around just um simplicity and and creating space and simplifying creating space and simplifying those have probably been. You know, I could probably put like 10 words to our theme this year at Brightwire, at least in the past year. Two of those words are creating space and simplifying. Don't complicate. Leaders have enough, organizations have enough right now. There's so much going on. Less is truly, truly more. And you know, we've reevaluated some of our programs and offerings and the way that we engage just to create simplification for more powerful results. And so that's another great point, Tim, and another great strategy even as a leader, to look across your portfolio and go, what's more complex than it needs to be? And just these beautiful, healthy questions, standing from the outside at that macro level looking in, can create space organically just through the nature of curiosity. And so that would be like a strategy we would work with leaders on as well. Get curious about, are you being reactionary versus responsive? Get curious about how can you move your conversations from transactional to transformative. You know, one of the tools we help leaders with specifically in our coaching capability program, but also in one-on-one coaching work is asking better questions. And it sounds so simple, but I can say to you, Tim, so did you get your goals done? And you can be like, yeah, I did. I got my goals done. Well, the quality of the information I've got from that question is like a one out of 10, it was a closed question. And now I know you did your goals. But if I say to you, Kim, what specifically will you do to ensure that you accomplish your goals this year? Totally different question. And now I'm getting more information. I'm able to demonstrate my listening capabilities to you as my team member. I can coach and develop you, I can clarify. You're gonna have a greater degree of accountability because you're articulating to me what your commitments are. And so it's a really nice leadership strategy. And we actually use like a spectrum of questions from cold to really warm. And that would be a really warm, high gain question because it allows you to get more information from the person that you're dealing with, the person on your team. So like little tactics like that, if I'm intentional about the five minutes I have with you, because we really believe that every minute matters and not just meeting minutes, not just formal meetings, but every minute matters. So if I'm intentional about asking you higher gain questions, I'm gonna get more out of our time together. And you're gonna get more out of our time together as well. So those micro strategies that give you really macro impacts is what's super important in this business world and what we've really been focusing a lot on creating with leaders. Micro strategies for macro impacts. So that's just a few of them right there.
0: I love that. And particularly during this time of covid things are i don't want to say mellowing out but we're we're in the intervening period i guess you would say we're we're okay. past the 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 major reactionary period yes but do you get a lot of uh, i guess pushback from executives saying i just don't have the time to do this like it's just too much effort and work to to really call it think intentionally do you feel people are still reactionary
1: Yeah, uh, so it's changing a little bit. I mean, that's a big question. It varies by industry, by individual, by team, by company for sure. Um, But there is some movement happening because what we've seen is that reacting doesn't work well for the long term. And so what leaders and teams and companies have, or at least the successful ones, are getting acquainted with is building strategy with uncertainty, planning with what they have available to them. And not spending too much time in ambiguity, planning multiple scenarios of possible paths that don't even happen, but really focusing on the one or two that they know are likely to be the most probable. So there's this little bit of a blend of, or sort of transition of comfort, I would say. And people are being a little bit more responsive versus reactionary uh, in business today. Now, And that has taken some time, absolutely for sure. Um, the other thing I want to say about that is, um, how people, how, how organizations are developing their people. So yes, Tim, for sure. The simplification comment comes from a lot of clients going like, we don't have capacity. Like this is, this is, I don't, I can't read any more articles on LinkedIn. I can't attend any more free webinars out there. Like we are inundated with information. And so how do you access these bright minds to help them in a way that allows for a very high impact in a short period of time, low time requirement, high impact. And so that's where we really coined micro strategies for macro gains. It's the two minutes, the three minutes, the five minutes that you have, not the 45 minutes to 90 minutes that you don't have. So we've been really focusing on those incremental moments to get macro long-term gains and, and it's really working for leaders. Now, in the same token, a lot of companies are like, we don't have space But this is a critical priority. And as I said in my very opening comments, there's nothing like a global pandemic to shine the light on what we've always known to be important, which is developing leadership capability. Absolutely. You know, many people are doing three or four jobs right now, as I've said before, and companies are like, whoa, we need to keep our top talent. Because that's all we have left. We've already had to reduce our workforce. We've had to flatten layers here. We've had to streamline org structures. And now I have my top players. I need to keep them. So I need to equip them to be successful in their multiple roles. So we're actually going to do what we can to create space to invest in their development. And that would be one thing I would say is absolutely top organizations are doing right now are investing in people's development. There's a An inverse correlation in this industry, in the leadership development and executive coaching industry, um, compared to a global recession or an economic downturn. And when things are not going well with the economy, leaders and organizations, smart ones, again, ones that have a successful trajectory ahead of them, look at developing their people, because that's going to be what they need for the future. So yeah, developing people is another one that you just can't get by today without doing. And as you and I both know, if you don't have people, you don't have a business. Yeah. It's that simple.
0: Well, there's a great, uh, you know, not, not really quote, but scenario of a CEO talking to a CFO where it's the the CFO says, well, what if we invest in our people and they leave and the CEO right. says, well, what if we don't and they stay? I <laughs> love
1: that. I absolutely love that. That's so true. And that's kind of the case in point. I mean, especially if the ones that stay are the ones that you have. And if you want to have them for the long run, well, you, you know, there's absolutely, it is absolutely imperative to develop that capability internally so that you can have strength for the future and you can have the right successors in place. Like that is the viability of an organization. Leadership is the foundation. And as I said uh, previously, when we work with different organizations and our CEOs are speaking to the stock market about their performance, it is steeped in leadership. And that's because their legacy is building, is leaving the companies that they lead in a better place than they got it when they arrived. And that all comes down to the people.
0: Yeah. Oh, I love it. Now, we could go on for hours and I could talk leadership and wellness and personal performance forever, uh, you know, for the sake of our viewers, I know they're engaged in loving this, but uh, what, to wrap up a bit here, what final words of wisdom do you want to leave uh, the listeners?
1: Yeah, I appreciate the question, Tim, and the opportunity and just such a great conversation today. And I would just invite each of the listeners to get curious about what they're doing for their self in order to show up best for those around them and invite them to just have a really healthy sense of curiosity because if you can stand back and, and zoom out on your day-to-day and shift your perspective perhaps on what's going on every moment for you every day and just kind of zoom out you're able to see possibilities that don't previously exist and by doing that new outcomes can happen new things can take place so I think it's a, a really you know simple form of guidance use curiosity to check in with yourself in terms of how you're doing for your wellness and your personal leadership. And then just as, as leaders within teams and organizations, keep focusing on your developing your people, create space and allow them that space that they need to develop and just reinforce the behaviors that you see, that you know, that you need to see more of for the future, because that's how companies and organizations build strong cultures of leadership. And that gets great performance that's sustained over the long run. So yeah, I mean, there's there's a lot of great, uh, great things that we've talked about today and um, meaningful approaches that individuals and teams can take. And if anyone wants to continue to the conversation, we have a wonderful team at BrightWire Leadership. You can reach us on our website, which Tim, I believe you'll post that information as well. Yes. And um, we're also on LinkedIn. We have a pretty active LinkedIn page where we share a lot of our leadership tips and strategies. So feel free to follow us there. And yeah, thank you very much, Tim, for having me today.
0: It's been awesome. I love it. And I'll make sure I post uh, your website and the contact info on uh, the show notes. Now, we didn't talk about it today, but you have a book. Oh, yes, yeah. uh, Tell me me a little bit more about your book.
1: Thank you very much. Yeah, so um, I did an executive MBA many, many years ago, and I went into the experience Uh, wanting it to be as intentional as possible. And as you've picked up on by now, intentionality is a key word for me and a value. And so after working with many executive MBAs for many years um, in the corporate world, through different clients that we've served, what I realized was many people go and they invest in themselves in graduate level education, an MBA or not, and uh, don't have the tools and skills to remain committed to why they wanted to do that in the first place. In semester one, it's like inundating, it's overwhelming, you're just trying to survive. By the second semester, you figured out really savvy ways just to do all the courses and take the lead on all the projects that you were already good at prior to taking the program. And therefore, you limit your learning experience. So what I thought was, if I could gather my tools of coaching executive and leaders for 15 years and put them into a book to help people be intentional about their academic experience, how great would that be? So I partnered with a client actually that we worked with for many years and she finished the coaching program with me. And she said, you know what, Christine, this is too good to be true. We need to capture this in a book. We need to write a book together. And I said, okay, Renee. And she was a professional communicator. I said, great Renee. Well, if you write, I'll articulate and together we'll, we'll create a book. And so three years uh, it took us to write the book. It was a passion project off the side of our desk. We're really happy with it. It's, um, uh, it's getting placed in universities and bookstores, uh, almost as like a guidebook to help students be intentional about their educational experience. So yeah, thanks. Thanks for asking, Kim. And If you guys are interested, you can learn more about my book at theintentionalmba.com. Uh, All
0: right, I'll put that in the that link in the show notes as well. But thank you so for much, sure. Christine. This has been amazing, and yeah, I'll, I'll make sure that people have the opportunity to reach out to you if they're interested in leadership development or executive coaching and thank you so much for being on the show it's been a pleasure
1: yeah thanks very much for having me what great conversation and appreciate your passion tim and everything that you do as well in this space right on thank you
0: thank you looking forward to our next chat
1: absolutely thanks again
0: thank you for listening to the working well podcast If you enjoyed the show, don't forget to rate and review us wherever you get your podcasts. We love to hear your experiences and how you've applied tips from the show to your daily life, so please keep us posted on your progress. To stay up to date with new episode releases, make sure to subscribe to our mailing list by emailing podcast at freshgroup.ca and follow us on Instagram, Facebook, and LinkedIn. Thank you, everyone, for tuning in. And once again, I'm Tim Boris with Fresh Wellness Group.